I like that. You once had a tweet, and I, I don't remember what it exactly said, but it talked, and I talked to somebody else about it on, on one of these podcasts, was about you were talking to creators. Because these devices, these phones, that you, they allow you to create things if you want, if you choose to. And you said something to the effect of, like, um, your stories would be, you know, better if they were original stories. Yeah. Um, I can tell you exactly what I said. Because I just had someone argue about this uh, recently. And, I, you know, they're, they're, allowed to, uh, they're allowed to have a different experience. Yeah, there's this Eric Fromm uh, quote I read last night. Creativity requires the courage to let go of certainties. Mm. Right? Same thing. The cave, yes. the cave we fear that. most. Storytellers, there is always more value when you create the stories you tell. And, and where that really came from was um, I did and, and learned about speaking before TED existed. Um, yeah. uh, and especially before TED, I mean, I had been to a couple of TED conferences before it became an online phenomena before it became ubiquitous and I, I think Ted has done a disservice to oh no thanks I think Ted has done a disservice to um, public speaking um, because there was a, a, a time there where you really had to know what you were talking about and my observation was and I was out on the road speaking you know 200 days a year for a couple of years then. So I got to hear some of the best people on the, on the planet who, they weren't professional speakers, they were professional makers, doers, artists, business people, photographers, inventors, um, people who had had life experiences, but who had distilled that down into something that they could share that was still gonna feel okay. compelling for other folks. Um, and what I noticed about the best speakers, the ones that really were the most affecting and effective, mm -hmm. was that those were people who told a story that only they could tell. Hmm. And there were lots of very polished speakers out there who had read a hundred books, right. or had a slick PowerPoint, or had some funny jokes, mm -hmm. or had a great punchline, mm -hmm. um, or, or some sort of catchphrase mm -hmm. 
and those people were fine, mm -hmm. but they weren't great. And yes. the, the really great people were describing, they were telling us a story that only they could tell, only they had had that experience. So, of course, you know, someone said, you know, there can be lots of good storytelling. You know, there's a lifetime of storytelling where the, where the people are, are uh, just good storytellers and it's not their experience at, at all. And I, yes, I totally agree. But those, those things will rarely compare. They're good, and they're even good enough, and they can even be great. But for it to be exceptional, I, I think it's when, when people are sharing something from a, a singular place of, of experience. That only they could tell. Well, so what, what happens is, you've seen photographers try and take someone else's picture before. Yes, all the time. And it's not the same. No. Because they know where to put the camera, but they don't know why they put it there. Right. And they don't know what was going on in the head of the other photographer. Yes. Why they chose to make that the subject of the image. Yes. And it's on all that about day and that. in that yes, moment. Absolutely. Right. So all of that internal process of the artist is is locked away inside that image. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's what makes it what it is. That's what makes it what it is. Mm -hmm. And someone else who comes along and only captures the surface of that mm -hmm. can't communicate more than they've captured. That's correct. If they do, it's just chance, right? Yeah. So a magician who comes along and the reason they do, the reason they perform something is because they saw someone else perform it and it appealed to them. Well, it should appeal to you, mm -hmm. but it should appeal to you to go enough to go out and create something on your own yes. that's as inspirational or enjoyable for someone else, not to imitate that. Right. Now, can you be a magician who's got a lot of experience and still be an imitator? Because I, th I feel yeah, no, no, no. But, really? but, I, but I think those are workmen. Look, there's, there's something. It's, it's. I, I think that gets to a place of functionality. I don't think those people are artists. Um, one of the podcasts of yours I listened to yesterday to just familiarize myself with your form <laughs> um, was the photographer you mentioned his name, Ray Zimmerman or Dave Whalen. I think it was Dave Whalen. Yeah. Um, Younger, right? Late 20s, yeah, Dave, 30s? Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, he's, he was the one that was so affected by what his art school teachers told him about contemporary art and about cars not being art. And about right. And you asked many, many times, what is art? Is that art? Uh, which is one of the most boring questions in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it made me... Well, you know, to me it's like belief. No two people ever had a discussion about belief that changed the mind of either one of them. Yes, absolutely. Right, because there's something very core about that, that that goes beyond information and communication and okay. knowledge. Right, there's something right. something else in there that's more essential. Okay. People aren't going to convince each other, and I think art is the same way. But for me, I thought you might ask that question. So I thought about it a little bit this morning while I was brushing my teeth, and I, I think art is just another form of communication. Not to diminish it in any way, but that's what it is. And, and it can be, sometimes it's just communicating what the artist feels, and sometimes it's just, it's trying to communicate an idea to a known audience. Sometimes it's trying to, it's the, the compulsion, the drive, to put an idea out into the world not knowing who will see it. Um, but that's all it is, communication. And, the, and the, the reason that came to mind was because the argument or, or discussion or point of view that, you know, car design is not art. Of course it is. 
right? It's if, if you take a look at what was going on in the 50s, everything had to look like a spaceship. Yes. Everything had to look like a phallus, and everything yes. had to look like a, 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 a cruise ship and a royal carriage. Mm -hmm. and a, I remember so, all those so, phases, yeah. So all of those things, mm -hmm. all of those things uh, are forms of external communication. So are, you know, are they high art? Are they fine art? Arguable. Right, given the person, given the day, given the example, but right. for me, it's all you know forms of communication, and I don't think it's unique to humans. There's lots of animals that uh, you know will will purposefully mm. use color to communicate mm. in, in ways that we might look at as artful. Now, they might be using it strictly to get people to use their nest or to okay. trick another species, right? They, they've probably got some function more than affecting the feelings of another creature, but we can use art to frighten and there's creatures that can, that can arrange things to keep predators away so that it feels more threatening or to, or to disguise something, to purposefully camouflage something. Yes. Are, are we saying that it comes from the same place inside their heads? Probably not. You know, is there the same mindful uh, intention? Probably not, except sometime in the near future, we're going to be horrified when we find out, you know, how, how aware and what kinds of thoughts whales and dolphins and <laughs> octopus have. So. Sure. That's interesting. So it's communication. Art. Well, the, you, you two got into the discussion of, I think one of his teachers said, if it's functional, it can't be art. Right. And that's ridiculous. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree, yeah. Because <laughs> you could have the two things happen. You know, I mean, Duchamp would prove that to us over and over and over again, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Functional objects, traditionally, their, their core intention is the function and not to communicate. But take a look at all that, you know, that's what design is. Yes. Design is the art of... The, the art within functional objects. Creating a functional object. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, creating a functional object artfully. Well, I wish you were there with me when I was talking to Dave. No, it's okay. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> nobody's right, nobody's wrong. I know, it's I'm just, just joking. I wasn't trying to fight with him either. He, he actually was taking a, that, and he was sort of on, on the fence on what is fine art, and that's how that conversation got started. So, Look, if you're not the... If you're not the curator of the museum and figuring out what to put in the exhibit, right, what, what gets in the door and what goes up on the wall and what doesn't, yes. who cares? Right. Right. Exactly. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, the... Um, That's it. Seek, you know, all these little bromides I carry around in my head. Yeah. Right? If it can't be cut, it must be cut. The treasure you seek is in the cave you fear most. All dances are too long. Um, seek authenticity, not approval. Is, is an important one. And, that, and for me, that's where all that, you know, does this... Does this live up to the definition of fine art? It's like, holy cow. I like that. Do you want to slice it thinner? 
is there when we really figure it out when we come up with the perfect metric by which we can measure everything and determine what's fine art are we going to be in a better place <laughs> you know toward what purpose I love that can you say that again about authenticity seek seek authenticity not approval Because then we're being true to ourselves and offering the only thing that only we can offer. Right. Yes. And that goes back to um, you like art that's coming from, or you like talks that are coming are coming from something that are authentic. Yeah, authentic. And they're and the they're the only person who can really tell that story. Yes. I'm going to listen to these. This podcast over and over and over again. <laughs> I mean, you really... Um, I, I can understand why you do what you do. I mean, that can really help a lot of people, what you're talking about. Because you could pursue some of these things for reasons that are not authentic and waste a lot of time and not get what you want out of what you what you're trying to do imitating that's it's easy yes it's hard to live with but it's easy yes you can even get paid for it and get a career in that oh it's so easy yes but those you know i i know those people and they're really they're unhappy fast thank you can i get it they get unhappy fast we're good my joint oh okay um they get unhappy fast why is that because they're not authentic you know I've heard it said by many, many what we would consider famous people, often in often in Hollywood, that um, they live in a constant state of being. Um, they live in a constant state of fear, worried that they're going to be discovered that they're a fraud, huh? right? That everyone else thinks that. So they know it. Yeah, sure. But what is that really saying? What that's really saying is. That what they're what they're doing, they are putting, they are investing so much of the value in what other people think. Now I get it, I understand Q ratings and audiences and mm-hmm. being able to open a movie and box office and all that. I get it, but when you take a look at really authentic artists, um, I think Prince was an authentic artist. Yes. Uh, yes. And the really remarkable thing about him was. He would, he would transform himself every couple of years. The core him was always there. But if you liked Prince music, then you ended up liking every kind of music there was, from stuff yes. that was close to classical, to really funky, to, to jazz, to blues, mm-hmm. to electronic, to everything, That's everything. True. Because he wasn't trying to be, he wasn't a- appealing, he wasn't trying to appeal to uh, a particular audience, he was just making what he felt compelled to make. Right. Right. Yes. That's so important. It's, you know, mm. it's the only thing we have to offer that no one else can. Mm. And that's really important in a world where we have access to everything. And only we have, except only we have access to our own ideas yes. and our own point of view 
and our own soup of experience, right? Mm. Wow. But, you know, I see it all the time with young magicians who... Uh, they're like plumbers. Uh, that's not to put plumbers down, but, yes. you know, there's no art in it. It's all function. And it's, but they don't know why, right? A plumber knows stop the leak, get better, get better flow, get mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Right. They they, they, un, they understand pressure and, uh, but a lot of times you'll just see a performer doing something because that's what they saw the other guy do. Mm. And they could do that and get paid to do that and have a career and die and never know. I, that I have. They should have maybe found I have, more I have of their been, own voice. I have many times said, and I've been quoted in the New York Times as saying. Magic is a powerful enough art to support a weak performer. Mm. And, and you know from your experience in it that there are a few rare secrets that sadly anybody can go in and buy in a magic storage or shop or over the internet, you know, on Amazon. And if, if they're smart enough to just do that one thing exactly as it's been designed and nothing more, the secret is in the brevity, if they do that thing and nothing more, they could very well be the best, they could give another human being the most powerful magic experience that other person has ever had live before. And that's with no knowledge and no investment and, you know, minimal practice and so what else? Done? You can't do that with a skateboard, you, can, you know, maybe you could do it with a camera if you got really lucky, mm -hmm. you got super lucky, you could, right, like the, the monkey selfie is a great example. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that is. What is that? Oh, really? No. So uh, it's it's a big copyright case that's going on right now. So oh, I a, think I might have heard something about right. That. A yeah. uh, a photographer, I think it was a National Geographic photographer, but a, a wildlife photographer lost a camera or set a camera down someplace uh, in in a jungle in a in a wooded area, and uh, a monkey came over and triggered a photograph itself, touched yes. it and triggered a photograph, and. It had great composition, great focus. <laughs> so, Back of the blindfold. So the question was, yeah. who owns the copyright in that image? Mm. Because the, the owner of the camera was, was nowhere near yes. when another living thing intentionally, maybe not knowingly, but, but intentionally triggered the shutter to take that photograph and capture he, that he image. He made that image. He made that image. He made that image, yeah. So the question is, does the sale of that, should the money from that go to the preserve where this animal lives? Or can, does the photographer who just happened to own the device, you know, now right. have the... So there, it's, it's still it's a big, big copyright. Uh, yes. And that sort of speaks on different levels, too. <laughs> it speaks to, on every level. Yes. It's a great picture. Wow. He, he, right? He clicked this? Huh? He clicked, he pushed the button. Yeah. Phenomenal, I mean. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So, you know. You know, that makes me think about um, the internet, like all this information we have, good and bad. I mean, do you have a, 
methodology or a belief that that needs to be somehow mitigated, regulated in, in regulated. our lives somehow. Yeah. Humans love distractions. <laughs> we like surprise. Yes. Um, and I, I think this is just uh, the next level or a more complex form of similar distractions that we've always had in the past. So, Such as television? Or well, first there were the great orators, right? Mm -hmm. well, I can, can't you imagine... The, let's go back to the very beginning, okay. right? The caves at Lascaux. Yes. Right? And can't you imagine? It's like, oh, Ugg will not go on the Mastodon hunt with me because all he wants to do uh -huh. is make fire and go back to the cave and look at that picture of the hunt again. He just stares. I mean, he, he just sits in there and stares at that picture of the hunt. And he tells me that he's learning and he's understanding from it how the animals move and where yes. we should stand and how far a, a spear can go. But I, I just think it's a waste of time to be staring at that cave wall all this time. Fascinating. Right? So we went from an image to orators who could tell that story. Yes. Right? You're, you're, not, you're not planting crops if you're, if you're sitting around the fire listening to the storyteller. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Um, although they had that great practice in, in uh, Havana of, in the cigar factories, there would always be, I forget the name of the, of the role of this person, mm -hmm. but there was an, always an elder statesman there who would read the newspaper and would read novels to all the people as they were rolling the rolling. cigars. Really? There's, a, there's a special name for it and there's a special status to okay. that person. But that meant that if you were someone that rolled, rolled cigars, you had heard the classics Mm. Right, you'd you'd heard Marquez. Mm. You had you knew all the news of the day. Mm. So, really interesting. Mm, that is interesting, right? Um, that 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 potentially mindless task wasn't mindless at all. Mm. So then we go from the spoken word to to writing, right? Whether that's cuneiform or whatever that is, right? Oh, all day he's just staring at those tablets. Mm -hmm. Why not go out and really? <laughs> why not go out and really see the world and have an have an adventure when all day long they're staring at those tablets, mm. all day long, yes. right? And then yes. we went from that to the books, so now you can carry it around with you, everybody has their own. Yes. You know, and I'm sure, they, I'm sure during the have and have not times of, of reading and of uh, um, literacy, you know, early medieval literacy or illiteracy, I'm sure there were the people that, that said, you know, someday, Everybody's going to be able to read, and even the poorest peasant will have access to a book. Mm. And I'm sure the you know the aristocracy, the landowners, are ridiculous. Right? right. Books right. are rare things. They're expensive. They're yeah. made of goat skin, and they're yes. hand printed a page at a time. Or, mm -hmm. So then we get movable type. You know, then then what comes next? Then we're you know at the even at the time of Napoleon, faxes existed. They were able to send. The, the actual image of a printed page across a great distance using electricity with a very early version of really? a fax machine at the time of Napoleon, in fact. Um, and then we had the Telegraph. There's a really nice small book called The Victorian Inter Internet okay. where all the things we're talking about today they talked about when the Telegraph came along. That makes sense. Right? It could be used for communication. Things. It could be yes. used for distraction. Except it doesn't, cha it doesn't change things. It doesn't, we're, we're still, you know, 
fragile and goofy and and distractible and <laughs> hoping and dreaming and bumping into each other and doing stupid things. Yeah. So it's just it's we're 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 kind of doing the same things and every now and then some new things or some different things at a different speed, in a different way, with a different depth, with a different level of competency. Uh, you know, think about what it used to be to retouch a photograph. I remember, oh, God. you know, I, I used to have to go to a guy oh, yeah. that would retouch black and white photographs, and that's what he did. And when it was done artfully, it was invisible. Of course. Invisible. Yes. And, and now, now, literally, there's smart apps that'll do that on your phone where you don't even have to make the decision. Right. right. It finds the imperfections. It cleans up the red eye. It Dust. And, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It'll do all that stuff. Right. So, you know, we just kind of move along. Radio, right? Yeah. Radio is a distraction. Right? Radio, oh, the kids just sit around the radio all day listening. No, honey, but it brings us news and we learn and we're able to travel to foreign places with it and we blah, blah, blah. Mm. And people tried to create uni university of the air where you could learn things over the radio. Mm. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then we had uh, television, you know, mm -hmm. the cinema. Then we had television. Yes. You know, all, all of those things were cursed and praised in exactly the same way the internet is today. I like that. And it's just, it's, it's more of an amalgam. It's, it's more things all mashed together. It's mm -hmm. books and movies and still images and... True. That's true. But nevertheless, it doesn't really change anything. It's still a choice. Yes. You know, and if we had some giant uh, electromagnetic event on our planet, <laughs> we wouldn't have an internet anymore. Which Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Is, yes. is not at all unlikely. Right, that's absolutely correct, yes. That's right. Which would be, that would be interesting. Well, it, what's most interesting to me is just to recognize how long dead tree books have, have lasted, yeah. right? Yeah, yes, I like that. Have you thought about that before? About the internet and its effect on people and the fact that it's not... Uh, a, a little bit. I think about yeah. it more in terms of... I haven't thought about it all the way back to cave paintings before. I love that. I know. But I've thought about it before just in terms of the day-to-day -day distraction. And my, my mental backwards look was, you know, people walk around staring at their screen today. But before that, we all walked around, you know, staring... Head in at, the book. Or... Well, staring at our phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before that. And before that, we were staring at our Palm Pilot. So we didn't have the same level of connectivity, but it was still, we were obsessed with the, the mobility and accessibility of, of data. Yes. And then before that, we were all walking around with our Walkman on. That was my generation, that. that was our generation. That was back in the 70s. And if you take a look in Time Magazine and in Vanity Fair and in Psychology Today, everybody is bemoaning a disconnected generation, walking around, listening to their own thing, not talking to other people, not having a conversation. Yeah. Right, everybody, yeah. it's become yeah. all internalized. Everybody yeah. literally walking to the beat of their own drummer, to sure. their own song. You're right, no, you're right. But before that. that was transistor radios. Yes. Actually, before that was those tiny TVs, right? Everybody, all the sports fans were walking around. The little with those black tiny, and whites. Yeah, yeah, tiny little. Uh -huh. One inches, two inches. Yep. Yeah, I remember And those. then before that was transistor radio. And if you go back and read those newspaper stories, everybody's bemoaning mm -hmm. sports fans and teenagers lost in that little box. You're you right. Know, completely disconnected from the world. Wow. And I'm sure there was a time where everybody was pissed that their, somebody had their nose buried in a book, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a last question for you. Sure. So your mind, you know, do, do you, did you cultivate 
the way that you sort of simplify things when you solve a problem? Or did that just, were you just born that way? Um, at first, not intentionally, uh, and it was learning by bumping around. But it, it was also learning by bumping around and paying attention. So the, the process or the processes have become refined over time. So that I do have tricks or, t or tools or practices that I'll institute or repeat. But there's also no substitute for just the, the open-mindedness and possibility of discovery. So you don't want whatever your system is to be so efficient that it cuts off the possibility of happenstance or, or surprise or discovery. Sure, use everything, right? Every part of the buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's, a, that's another one of my... I started a podcast and got two of them done a long time you ago. You did? Yeah, I just got, I'll send them to you. Well, oh, I I'd love to hear those. Um, but it was called A Bent Paperclip. And that's because I got a fortune cookie fortune once that said, the answer you seek is not unlike a bent paperclip. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. Well, the great thing about that is it means nothing and everything, right? That I love is, that, yes. Yeah. It's what, but what it does is it opens you up to... Oh, no, thank you. It opens your head up to the possibility that anything can be the right tool. Because mm. it didn't say the answer you seek is a bent paper no. clip. It said the answer you seek is not unlike a bent paper yes, clip. Yes, absolutely. Right. Right. Why did you stop doing the podcasts? I, I did two of them. I would, I'd rather be making another thing than... than mm -hmm. What's nice about what you've come up with is it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. How's that different, do you think? Because well, be nice, even if we didn't have that recording device on the table, it'd be nice it'd to It'd be the same conversation. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have to try to talk to people that I want to talk to. And uh, you're one of them. Well, you should, it would also be really interesting to talk to people that you really don't want to talk to. Yes, that would be good. Right? Because yes. that's... The, that's a conversation. Well, if you're indifferent, it kind of doesn't matter so much, but... Any emotional reaction is an emotional reaction. So folks yeah. you really disagree with are folks who... Right. What's really fascinating to me is, you know, I'm just going to fade this out, but when I called you, I mean, almost within our 10-minute conversation, you completely defined everything that I'm doing here. I thought that was so bizarre. I don't know if it's just happenstance or just, just you listened to me and you just read my voice and you knew where I was coming from, even, even before I realized some of this stuff. Because I didn't really realize why I was pursuing this. And sort of in that conversation, you kind of gave me some insight. I don't know why, I don't know why that is. You know, or maybe I read more into it, I don't know. But, um, Probably all of those things are true. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate you sitting with me and having a conversation. My pleasure. Doing my first food podcast. <laughs> Hopefully the burps weren't too horrible for everybody. The indigestion. And, and for those of you that can't see this, I, I have a completely empty plate and he has eaten two spoonfuls <laughs> because, of oatmeal. You know why? Because I'm so nervous being around you because, you know, I, I, I had the same experience with when I first began to work for Michael York. I, I, um, it's not a negative nervous. It's like I really love... Eagerness? Yes. I really love intelligent conversations, and I knew you were going to deliver. <laughs> so I'm just savoring every word you're saying. And 
overthinking things and <laughs> my heart's going a thousand miles an hour and I just I, I thought about this all night last night and just you know like again you're one of the my I couldn't believe this was gonna be a go it's like what yeah so well, it's it's flattering but you have to understand that it's a that's foreign to me because I spend most days with myself so I've kind of become <laughs> kind of become used to me okay let me turn this on